This is Anthony Arino, and you're listening to In the Arena. This episode of In the Arena is sponsored by Velocify, and Velocify is a really cool product that's directly integrated with Salesforce.com, and this is the interesting thing about Velocify to me. Leads come in, and leads are not responded to. So the customer, your prospective customer, is raising their hand saying, I'm interested, I would like help. But a third of these leads are never responded to. And the leads that are, it takes a sales rep on average 48 hours to respond to that lead. It never makes sense to me. So Velocify is a product that allows you to accelerate your lead response. What happens, we know, is that if a lead comes in and you respond to it immediately, and the research shows in one minute, you've got five times greater likelihood of winning that deal. It makes total sense then to be responsive. It allows you to optimize your practices so you can give salespeople the leads they need. You can log calls, you can set tasks, and you can redistribute these leads in a way that it makes sense so that your salespeople are responding to them and the customer feels this and you win more deals. So go check out Velocify.com. You'll see it in the show notes. It's V-E-L-O-C-I-F-Y.com. And we're proud to have them here as a sponsor. Today, the second time I've had my good friend Jeb Blunt in the arena, this time I dig deep with Jeb on his new book, Fanatical Prospecting, and uh, he'll share ideas out of that book, and I'll press him to answer some questions. So you know Jeb from salesgravy.com. Here, without any further ado, my good friend Jeb Blunt. I'm here today with the only man working harder than me in sales, Jeb Blunt. Jeb, how are you? I'm doing great, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, man. It's like uh, we talk all the time, but this time we hit record. <laughs> That's true. We we always say that we should be hitting recording when we were when we're talking. So I guess now we're uh, we're actually doing it. It's uh, it's what we should do every time. This will create value for people. And I'm holding your new book uh, in my hands, Fanatical Prospecting, with the longest subtitle of any book known to man, The Ultimate Guide to Opening Sales Conversations and Filling the Pipeline by Leveraging Social Selling, Telephone, Email, Text, and Cold Calling. You even said the word cold calling right on the cover. How's this book doing for you so far? It's been phenomenal. It's really... The book is doing so well. It far exceeded my expectations. It went straight to number one bestseller the first day it was out. I wish you could see my my dining room right now. I've got 1,100 copies of that book sitting on my dining room table that I'm signing for a client that ordered ordered them from me. And it's been amazing. The feedback from people, the the reviews, the um, uh, I just was just when you got on the telephone, I was just looking at Facebook, and I was just getting you know one person on Facebook after another holding the book up, saying I bought the book. So. The message has really resonated, and it's, like I said, it far surpassed anything that I ever expected with this book. I asked you that question because I wanted to lead you in this area. Why do you believe the reception for this book has been so warm? I, I think that the I, I didn't, you know, I didn't hold any punches. I just told people the truth about why prospecting is so critical in sales, and you know, I. I told it in a in a way that I think makes sense for people. I took the complexity out of it and made it easy for people to understand. And I gave folks a formula. So I focused on both the mindset of prospecting. I have a, a core belief that sales professionals are the elite athletes of the business world. And I think that if if there's one thing that, you know, that defines an elite athlete in the business world in sales would be prospecting, your ability to fill your pipeline up. Because the, the brutal fact, Anthony, is the number one people reason people fail in sales is that they have an empty pipeline. And the number one reason they have an empty pipeline 
is that they haven't been doing prospecting. So I think that resonated with people. And I think that that salespeople everywhere and their leaders struggle with this common problem of either empty or anemic pipelines. And so the message resonates. And I didn't, you know, fill it up with a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I didn't tell people that it was going to be easy because it's not. And I didn't um, come up with, with, you know, stupid formulas and, and scripts and a bunch of crap that never works in the real world. I just taught people how to prospect the way my team at Sales Gravy prospects every day. And we're pretty successful at what we do. Um. I want to get into a bunch of questions just around the content in the book for people here because I want this to give them value and I want them to walk away with some ideas. But I, w- I want to know who Bob Blackwell is because you dedicated the book to Bob Blackwell. Who is Bob? Bob Blackwell is probably one of the finest sales minds that I ever met. I was so fortunate that he was one of my very first sales managers. And when Early on when I was prospecting and he taught me how to prospect on the telephone, how to set up appointments. And, you know, every day I would come in and I would get on the telephone and I would set my appointments. And I was an outside sales, so I would go out and visit those appointments. And it was funny because this guy, this guy would uh, – he was his office was right next to my, my office, which was really not an office. It was a broom closet with a desk in it. And I would get on the telephone and I would, I would make my prospecting calls. And if I was saying the wrong thing, he would bang on the door you know, and go, you're saying the wrong stuff right in the middle of my prospecting calls. Um, but he was, um, he, and he, I say is, he shouldn't say was, he is, um, just an amazing sales guy, a fantastic sales manager. And, and he was just brilliant at taking talent and, and I've got the talent to sell and honing that and turning this into, into, um, some, something that made me a whole lot of money. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of everything he did for me. It's it's interesting. I asked you that question. I had a hunch that you were going to give me a story like that. But what's interesting to me about that story is right now there's so much hype of, about social selling and about not picking up the phone and about not prospecting. I think that there are generations now of salespeople who haven't had that leader. And, and I've written this on the blog a number of times about how a lot of us learned to sell by mimicking people. And there are people who already figured out what the effective language choices were. And they figured out what drove value for prospective clients to get that first appointment and then in front of the customer. And it feels to me like a lot of that's going away in that because there's so much resistance to prospecting and there's so much of a focus on, oh, it should be inbound or that's marketing's job to provide my leads. There are a lot of people that are missing that experience that you had how how much of this book really comes out of you having had early experiences where you were able to learn how to prospect by somebody who actually believed in it and and had the language and had the strategies and, and was able to to translate that for you? It's just a great question. I think that the reality is that um, I listened to a great sales manager. There were people around me. And this was back in the you know the mid '90s. There were there were tons of people that around me that came and went because they weren't willing to do the hard work of sales. And sales success is paid for in advance with prospecting. And I'm I'm about balance. It, it can be the telephone. It could be social. It can be text messaging. It can be knocking on doors. It can be networking. It doesn't really make a difference what you're doing, but you have to do it on a regular basis, like every single day, and if you do it consistently. And what what I found was. Even today, we've got a lot of salespeople, a generation of salespeople who don't prospect. We had the same problems back in the 90s. And when I was a sales manager, uh, I had the same issue. You know, I was sitting down with my salespeople and saying, get on the telephone, get on the telephone. Um, we have the same issue today at Sales Gravy where my people do a lot of outbound prospecting. The same issue today, get on the, tele- get on the phone, get on the phone, get on the phone. I think that if there's one thing that's changed, I don't think it's salespeople because I really believe that, again, Prospecting is the hardest job in sales, period, hands down. And nobody likes it because it sucks. But if you don't do it, you're not going to sell anything. The difference is I think that guys like Bob Blackwell were had the courage to look you in the eye and tell you the truth. And the truth was you weren't going to eat if you didn't prospect. And he was going to fire you if you didn't prospect. And I think what I see today in so many sales leaders, and I think millennials have a lot to do with this, is they're afraid to confront. They don't have the confer- the courage to hold their people accountable. They don't have a cadence that you and I've talked about of regular one-on-ones. 
and, um, you know, in, in having, you know, conversations about prospecting. And so many of them are afraid to actually go in and observe their people prospecting. And before I, I, I hand it back over to you, I'm going to tell you one quick story. We do these things called fanatical prospecting boot camps. So we go on site. We get the salespeople together. We teach them how to prospect. We go through a series of live prospecting blocks, and we, we watch them improve significantly and fill their pipeline up for the coming weeks. Recently, I went in to, uh, with a group of salespeople, and I walked through the door. They were We, we put them in a, in a live call, call block, and I said, just somebody give me a list. I'm going to call with you. And so they gave me a list, and I started calling. I didn't have a clue what they sold and nothing like that. But I know my formula for setting appointments works, so it didn't really make a difference how much I knew. And the sales manager who was responsible for this group of people sat and watched me, the trainer, make phone calls with his people and never picked up the phone and never tried. And in fact, at one point, just left and went back to his office. That's the problem right there that's holding a lot of salespeople back is they don't have someone behind them with – coaching, sometimes pushing, sometimes with a foot up the rear end that says, stop what you're doing, shut up, stop whining, get on the telephone and either set an appointment or sell something. My one of my um, I'm in my office, so I'm looking at the military history quarterly with Patton on the uh, on the covers, one of my favorite, you know, historical figures. And and he has a story about Patton where it's in his biography. He's written about it, and other people at Carlos Dieste wrote about it, where he has to cross a, a river in Germany during World War II, and he tells his people to cross the river at this particular spot, and they don't do it. And when he comes back, they haven't moved. And, of course, Patton was not known for his great sense of humor about people not taking massive action. So he walks up and says, I thought I told you to move these goddamn Jeeps and these uh, these tanks across this river here. And they said, sir, we can't. The water's too deep. And he points down to his pants, and he had just crossed the river himself, and the water only came up to his mid-thigh. So there, there weren't going to be any excuses because he, he'd already crossed the river at that spot, which is why he chose it, and he showed them that. So I, I think that that lesson, you know, a leader has to have muddy boots, and if you're going to ask them to pick up the phone, you better be willing to pick up the phone and have the capacity to do that as well. I, I lead the same way you do with an organization that I run. I have them give me their 40, 40 most difficult clients and I make the calls. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that to me is just a great time because I know that about a good third of them are going to be mad at me right out of the gate, which is wonderful because I get to be charming and do my best to, to turn at least a couple of them around. Um, let me dive into the book. There's a bunch of chapters here and I'm, this is an interesting book because it's so rich and heavy. Um, and, and I know the backstory on this book. A book is supposed to be 60,000 words. How many words is this book? Well, it was 120,000 words when I turned it into the publisher. And um, I, I turned it in and a day went by and I got this email and it was an, oh my God, you know, WTF email. Um, it wasn't supposed to be this long. It's supposed to be 50,000 words. And I said, well, I thought 50,000 words was the minimum, not the, you know, not the maximum. And we, um, we worked together and dialed it down to, it's, I think it's 80,000 words at this point. Still um, a big book. It's a, it's a big book for, uh, for what people say, you know, books shouldn't be long these days, but this book is outselling everything out there. And I think if you've got good content, a good message, it, it doesn't really make a difference how long the book is. Uh, I will tell you that the edits we did, you know, when we went from 120 to 80,000, made all the difference in the world. And I work with a, a wonderful, wonderful editor. And Leah just did a great job with helping me hone the, you know, hone the chapters and get them down. Um, but it's so much better to start off with a whole lot more. And honestly, I could have written, I, I could have written four or five more books on prospecting because the, the, there's so many different parts of it. And we're so lucky today in sales because there's so many different ways to prospect. I mean, you know, even going back to the early 90s, I mean, prospecting was a phone book and a phone. That was it. Or your feet. You could go knock on doors. And those, those were the only options you really had. Let me, today, let, let me, let me start there because let's deal with this right out of the gate. To cold call or not to cold call is the name of the third chapter in the book. What's the answer? The answer is this. If you don't interrupt people, you are going to have skinny kids. 
And we're all sitting around, you know, talking about cold calling. I saw a, a Twitter, one of our buddies, um, Kelly Riggs, you know, posted a Twitter feed or Twitter post that said, if somebody tells me cold calling is dead one more time, I'm going to throw something. And I think the whole argument about the cold call or no, not the cold call is such BS. It's basically pandering to salespeople who don't want to do the hard work of sales, which is prospecting. And it's not about cold calling or not cold calling. It's about interrupting. And and this this whole thing about cold calling is, is such bull. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second here. But here's the deal. The deal is this. It, it, if you took a group of salespeople and gave them a list of hot leads. So we give them a list of hot leads. These are people who have come to us through a web form. And we say, call these call these prospects. They will sit and stare at the phone as if it were a cold call. If, if you took a group of salespeople, and I write about this in the book, and we give them a list of our current customers who we're calling up to add on some additional business, they will sit and stare at the phone, and they will make every excuse not to make the call. If you bring a group of salespeople together and give them a list of customers who used to do business with us, who know us that effectively if you call them up, they're nice to you, they'll sit and stare at the phone. It's not about the call. It's about the interrupting. And salespeople are not afraid of cold calling. They're afraid of interrupting people. And it's natural. It's natural for us as human beings to feel this way. It's natural to be afraid of it. And that's why man- managerial courage is such a big deal because someone's got to say, pick up the phone and make the call. Because once you start doing it, it's really easy. But the whole this whole idea of cold calling is such – it's just the, the whole concept of cold call or not cold calling is crazy. And I mean, in and in the traditional sense of cold calling, cold calling was basically, you know, basically what we used to do. We pick up a phone box and we would call someone who didn't even know us. Today, gosh, you can find out anything about anybody anywhere, and, and you can have all this information at your fingertips if you need that. Frankly, I don't think you need most of it. Most of the time, you just need to call up and engage them, and they're willing to have a conversation with you. But the, um, but. You know, cold calling is 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 not the problem. It's interrupting, and and if, if you're if you're listening to this, you're a sales manager. Your job is to get your salespeople to interrupt people, one way or the other. And if you're a salesperson, I promise you, if you don't interrupt, you are going to fail in your job. It's it's interesting to me that we don't want to interrupt people, and it it speaks to me a couple a couple things. One, I think it's a fear uh, of dealing with conflict with another human being. That's part of it. The second part of it is, you know, if you really strongly believe that these people are your dream clients and they need what you sell, I I equate it to they're drowning. There are people who have the exact set of problems that you solve, but you're going, hey, Jeb, you know, it looks like you're drowning here and I'd love to help you out, but, you know, I don't want to interrupt you while you're right in the middle of suffering through major problems that you're probably going to die from. And you're going like, well, I'm drowning. It'd be certainly nice to have a hand here. But if you believe in your product, you pick up the phone and you interrupt people because you can create that value and they are struggling with the exact set of problems that you solve. And you are going to have people who are going to be unhappy that you interrupted them and you're going to have other people that engage with you and meet with you. So let me, let me, I'm, I'm on the same side with you at this. I knew this and anybody who knows either one of us knows we, we think this is a great idea to cold call. One for me, I think it, it massively increases the velocity of opportunity creation. And I think that's the the key to this. But let, let me d- dial you into another chapter of the book and talk about the numbers. What do the numbers look like? And I'm asking you this, and I'll share some insight that I have that people listening won't know. When you're doing your fanatical prospecting boot camps, I'm continually getting text messages from you. What are in the text messages that you send me? And And let's talk about the numbers when we do this kind of activity. So we do live phone blocks and, you know, and let's start with that. I, I, there are lots of ways to prospect and I believe in a balanced prospecting methodology in which you use every tool to, at, you know, that you have at your fingertips to your advantage. And just like if you were investing in the stock market, you should, you should have a diversified portfolio. You should diversify your prospecting. But, but let's be clear. The telephone is and always be, will be the best prospecting tool that you have. Because you can engage people, you can interrupt people, and you can actually have a conversation with them. So when in our fanatical prospecting boot camps, we have people get together and we give them a phone. They bring their list in and we do these phone blocks. And basically we do power hours. In our case, we do power half hours. And we say you've got 
25 minutes to make 30 dials and set two appointments. And most people say you, there's no way you can make 20 dials and you know, 30 dials in 25 and excuse me, 25 dials in 30 minutes. And the reality is you can do that all day long because most people aren't answering the telephone. Um, and if you have a list that's prepared in advance and if you're not wasting a whole lot of time wasting people's time, you're going to move through your calls really, really quickly. And the numbers that we come up with consistently are basically between a 25 and 30% contact rate. So if I dial 100 prospects, between 25 and 30 of those people are going to answer the telephone. Now, this is going to be be industry specific, so I'm not making a generalization and saying this is true for everybody, but most most B2B sales reps who have relatively large databases are are going to have about a 25 to 30% pickup rate if they're calling a good list. And that's a list that they've developed on their own using some of the methodologies that are in the book. And what I found in just basically over the last, I'd say it's the last five years, and I've got data going all, all the way back. You know, I'm a little bit OCD about n- my numbers. So I've got stats, my own stats going back into the 90s that our pickup rates are actually gone up about 5%. And there's a couple of reasons I think that's true. I think one um, is that people are carrying their phones with them. So a phone is no longer attached to an office. It's attached to a human being. And if you call someone's phone, they're, if it's with them, they're more likely to pick it up. And I think the other thing is, is that nobody's calling. And I think that the the number of salespeople who are actually picking up the phone and reaching out and touching prospects has diminished significantly uh, over the last five or six years as people have been get, been using email more often than the telephone. So these days, sort of like snail mail, if you send a, a letter to somebody, you're more likely to get your letter read than an email because nobody sends, sends snail mail. Same thing with the telephone. You're more likely to get it picked up because nobody's actually calling your prospects anymore. And the, and the, the numbers hold up consistently industry by industry by industry. And there's some industries that I work with, Anthony, believe it or not, that that have 80% pickup rates. Um, it's an, it's incredible, uh, but it's it's again industry specific. But statistically across them all, you should expect a 25 or 30% pickup rate. That means a person answers the telephone that you can talk to about your deal. I I I think you're right. I think that there is this this resistance, but because no one is picking up the phone, you are getting a greater response because people aren't using the phone anymore. So now it's a rarity when you get these calls. I still own a business. I get very very few calls. So tell me about the numbers. Do you think that 25% in I'm I'm leading you here cuz I actually I've got pictures uh, of the organizations that you work with, not being industry specific, but let's just generalize because I know a couple of those industries. What what percentage of those actual connections turn into booked appointments? If you if if you're you know if you're a salesperson, let's say you do um 30% pickup rate, somewhere between two and five of those of those conversations are going to turn into an appointment. So typically if you're a salesperson and you're in let's say business services and this is this is going to be a mashup between because in my world the, the industry I'm in uh, in advertising my sales reps typically make 100 to 120 dials a day and they're going to sell between two and three deals out of those 120 dials a day most of which are pretty much cold calls i mean they're 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 we're completely interrupting someone they who doesn't know the, who we are so we have about a 3% close rate on those calls but it's very lucrative and and I can't get it done any other way. I mean, I can advertise like crazy and I can't get them to come in. In business services, most business services organizations, if you make 50 dials, you're going to set between two and five good appointments with good qualified prospects. And I'm, when I say that, you, you shouldn't be setting appointments with people who aren't qualified. It's a waste of your time. And if you're an inside sales, that would be a demo. That would be your next step. I've got some software companies that have a discovery step in between the demo step. But it's basically getting the person to move to the next step. And again, depending on the industry and depending on what your capacity is, what I found over over the years and over time and as a sales coach, a consultant, as a trainer, is most business services reps who have between two and three new appointments with new opportunities that are qualified, that they're dropping into the pipe, if they're doing that every single day, the conversion funnel down all the way to the close works out very, very well from them. They'll be at the elite um, level in sales for their for their organization if they're getting that many appointments. And you make 50 dials 
on a on a, a good list of prospects, there's absolutely no reason following the formula that we have in the book that you shouldn't be able to make two to five appointments every single day. Let, let me let me drive home one other point here because I know your work well enough. You and I are are good friends. Um, <clears throat> both of our wives complain about how much time we talk on the phone with each other, so that's how close we are. So I know this. How much time does a a salesperson who's <clears throat> let me not not master of cold calling, but let's say they're pretty good, they're following a good plan. How much time do they need to spend on the phone in order to be able to to create enough opportunities to do well? Most reps can spend an hour a day prospecting on the phone and do very very well. Um, and when I say an hour a day, it depends on what your job is. So if you are in a you know a, a more complex deal with a longer sales cycle. An hour to two hours a day setting good appointments with new opportunities is going to be all that you need because a lot of your activity is going to be moving deals through the pipe in a more complex world. In a lower complexity world, so in my role, we sell advertising over the telephone. Um, you know, we we're we're our you know our conversion funnel is is such that we need to spend you know anywhere from three to four hours. I mean, we typically make 120 dials a day per rep, and we have what we call three power hours. So my sales team spends about three hours a day purely on the telephone. But but here's the caveat. If you were to come to the Sales Gravy's offices and watch my folks on a power hour, they're not putting stuff into the CRM. They're not doing follow-up. They're not sending emails. They're not checking you know, Facebook. They're not watching cat videos. There's a list in front of them. They start at the top of the list. They go to the bottom of the list. If they need to do a follow-up, if there's anything they need to make a note on, they put it in the margins and they dial all the way down. And then after our power hour, we spend about 30 minutes updating our CRM. Most people can't do two things at one time. In fact, really, nobody can do two things at one time. It's just not possible the way we're built as human beings. So we don't multitask during those power hours. And so if I take a, a typical B2B rep, and what we do in our fanatical prospecting boot camps, we'll basically say, okay, you've got 30 minutes to make $25 and set two appointments. And the first phone block, they'll, you know, we'll have 15, 16 dials. So a couple of people will make eight or nine. Mostly they're hacking around their and their CRM. But by the end of the boot camp, they're they're consistently making 25 to 30, 30 dials because we what we've taught them to do is take all the noise out, focus all their attention, concentrate all their power on one thing, do that, and then move on to the rest of their day. And that's the place where we go back to our original conversation about sales leaders. Sales leaders not having the managerial courage to say to their salespeople, we're on a phone block, put everything else away, get it done, and let's keep moving. Let me drive you into um, a further chapter in the book about the prospecting pyramid. And I, I think this is value creating for anybody who hears this. It's worth picking up the book just for this. Explain the pyramid. And um, we're going to talk about prospecting. I don't want to limit it to cold calling, but you have a methodology for thinking about in what order we do some of these things. Well, I mean, think about this. So if if you're going to do a prospecting blog, let's say you come in the morning and my prescription is prospecting blog should be first thing in the morning. Uh, eat the frog, get it over with. So you come in the morning and who's the first prospect you should call? And it's crazy because most salespeople, if you ask them that question, they're basically, it's the first person on the list or it's whatever came up in my CRM. It's random. It's a prospecting square. The top sales reps, they start with calling the most, um, the, the most, the, I would say the highest probability prospect on their list. So the prospect that I have the highest probability of closing a deal with if I'm in a short cycle um, sales call or the the prospect that I have the highest probability of setting an appointment with if I'm in a more of a long cycle, more complex sales uh, environment. So if you were to build your list that way, what you do is you start at the top of the list and in, in the first you know 10 to 15 calls you're going to make are to highly qualified high probability prospects that are typically in the buying window. So when we look at more complex deals, prospects are going to dip in and out of the buying window. No reason to go set an appointment with someone who's not ready to buy at the moment or not going to be moving into the buying window in any any time in the foreseeable future. So I'm building my list based on how I'm going to fill my pipeline. And I'm going to fill my pipeline with, with high probability, high quality prospects. And there's two things that happen there. One, your pros- your your phone blocks produce 
much better results because you're whether it's an email block or a phone block or you know social media block or even when you're going to a networking event you can build the same thing i build my prospecting pyramid around the people that i want to meet but you're going to have a higher quality output because you have a higher quality input the second thing that happens is we go back to the premise that prospecting sucks and most people hate it well if you're calling randomly off of a list let's say that you bought a list and it's just completely random you're going to have a much different experience. I mean, you could you maybe you know statistically get lucky and call a bunch of really great prospects, but more likely you're going to get a lot more rejection up front. So if you start up you know off your list with the highest probability prospects and then work down to the ones that you don't know a lot about, you're at the beginning of, the, of your list. Your your calls are focused on your objective is setting an appointment or selling something. And as you move down the list, your objective moves to gathering information so that you can fill in the pieces that allow you to move them up on your list. So you get wins early on in your phone block, which by the way makes you feel good. And the third reason why this is important is if you're starting your day off with a, with a with a prospecting block and you're focusing on your highest probability prospects first, you're going to be in better shape. You're, mentally, you're going to have a better attitude. Um, you're going to feel better. You're going to sound better. You're going to be more confident. And all of those things come together to make you um, much more um, or, or generate a much better and, uh, and more effective outcome for you by arranging your list in a way that sets you up for success. How many... How many prospects in the top of the pyramid? And I know I'm generalizing, but let's just talk about generally B2B. What's that number look like? Well, if you look at the top of the pyramid, so let's just say that you're in uh, B2B sales. You sell, let's say you sell pest control, um, commercial pest control. Well, commercial pest control, and I don't have anything to do with the pest control industry, so we'll just pull this out. But most of most commercial pest control clients are on some level of a contract. So if I'm a good sales rep. A lot of my prospecting calls in that world are information calls. I'm calling to find out when your contract is up. But let's just say that I go through my database and I find out that I've got a number of of prospects that I know that their contract is with, say, one of my competitors. And I know that that contract X date is coming up sometime in the next 90 to 100 days. So I simply run a list for those particular prospects because they're going to be moving into the buying window. If I have 10 of those prospects on the top of my list that I know that are moving into the buying window, that I know that are qualified, that I know that buy my services, and I have a, say, a 20 to a 40% pickup rate, somewhere in that neighborhood is going to be your statistical probability they're going to pick up. The chances that you're going to set an appointment with those are pretty much you know, close to 100%. Because there's there's no penalty for them to meet with you, to learn about what you have, to look at your competitive pricing because they're going to want to do that because they have a contract coming up. So you don't need that many up front in order to set an appointment. Now, if you're calling someone who has a contract coming up in, say, three years, they have absolutely no reason to meet with you because it's not going to do them any good because they're under contract. It's not going to do you any good, and you're going to add no value. So. If you start thinking about it that way, I want to focus on my deals and my prospects that are moving into the the buying window, and you just don't need that many at the top of your list in order to be successful right out of the bat. Now, let me let me add to this, Anthony. One of the problems that salespeople make in this in the in this prospecting pyramid uh, process is they'll they'll load up the top of their list with really good qualified opportunities that are moving into the buying window. They'll set a couple of appointments and then they quit. So they don't do any more prospecting. And that's not how it works. You got to keep driving down that list because there's a whole lot of prospects in your database and in your marketplace that you don't have that information about. And you got to make a lot of calls. So for most salespeople, the vast majority of their prospecting is around gathering information, not getting an outcome like setting an appointment. That's the mother hen. You know, they get two appointments and they got two eggs. They're just going to sit on the eggs and see if they hatch. You know, rather than continue down that list. And um, I'll, I'll just add to this. So the bottom of the pyramid is as important as the top of the pyramid because we need to find out where they are, start developing the relationship, start gathering the information. And the thing is to drive them up all the time, right? Absolutely. Drive them up the pyramid. And it's easy. I, you know, I mean, I used to make a hundred dollars a day and people say there's you know, how in the world do you make a hundred dollars a day? And I just, I carried a list with me everywhere I went, but I would, you know, usually make, 10 or 15 dials in the morning, I would end up setting my appointments because I had a really good focus on on managing my database. 
But what I would do is I would then call the rest of my accounts and that I had that day that I'd set up. And sometimes my call would just be, uh, tell me what color truck delivers your uniforms. I worked in the uniform industry for, for years. And just tell me what color truck it is. And if I knew what my competitor is, I would fill that into my database. And then I would say, well, who is the person in your organization that signs the invoices for that? They would tell me who that person is. And I would get a phone number or an email address. And then I would call that person and say, can you tell me what the um, what the contract expiration date is? And I would get that information and put that in. Can you tell me how many people there wear a uniform? And in every industry, no matter where you're working, there, there are all those, those data points, those touch points that allow you to make a prospect in your database more and more qualified. And I'm a, look, I'm a big believer in this. I mean, you know, you know, think about like this, if there was a casino and you walked in the casino and on one side, there was a, a slot machine that said 30%. And on the other side of the wall, there was a slot machine and over it, there was a neon sign that said it pays out 70%. So one's paying out 30%, one's paying out 70%, identical slot machines. Which one are you going to play? You're going to play the one that says 70%. So for me, I'm only going to spend my time with prospects that have a high quality or high probability of closing. So in your database and your prospecting, what you're doing is you're filling in the puzzle pieces, one piece of data at a time, so that you can you can build the story of a qualified prospect that you move up on your pyramid. And when you've got them fully qualified and they're ready to move into the buying window, it's very simple to make a call to them and set up the next appointment. Let me um, move us out of cold calling. We've talked about this so long. We've lost all the people that hate cold calling, I'm certain, by now. Hopefully they got something from this, and if they didn't, they need to just pick up the book. It'll be super helpful. Let me let me move us into an area where you and I sometimes struggle a little bit, and let's deal with social selling. What is it, and how do you do it if you're uh, a bag-carrying, quota-carrying rep? Well, first of all, I, I don't like the term social selling. Um, because it's, it's a stupid term. Um, it's a term that, you know, one of the big software companies made up so they could sell people a bunch of stuff. Um, so, but let's call it what it is. It's social prospecting, it's social information gathering, it's social buyer mapping. Um, it's, uh, it's a whole lot of stuff. And so the bundle it all up into social selling, I think is, um, is just, you know, pure crap, honestly. So there's a couple of things about social media. One, I believe that social media, um, like the telephone and the internet and the car before that, is a huge invention for salespeople. And it's one of the most important inventions ever because it gives us so much access to information. And, you know, a lot of people say that selling is harder than it's ever been before. And I just think that's, I just don't think that's true. I think it's easier than it's ever been because we have so much information at our fingertips. And so, when you look at social selling, you have to look at social selling um, more strategically. How does it fit into my world? How do I um, how do I actualize it? When do I use it? What do I use it for? And in if you're in short cycle, you know, low complexity sales, honestly, stay off of social media. Let your marketers do that. Let them get you some leads or what have you. But you should stay away from it. If you're in longer cycle, more complex deals then social media can be really helpful for you to go in and map buyers, to gauge when buying windows may be opening, to connect with people that you may not be able to connect with otherwise. Um, all of those things are true, uh, and all those things will work for you. But social media can also be a, um, a big old pond of quicksand that your sales day can, can fall into and you will never recover from. And, uh, and I tell a story in the book about one of my reps who challenged me on social selling versus picking up the telephone. And at the end of the week, I, I sold, I don't know, 12, 14 accounts and he had sold nothing, but he'd had a lot of connections. And I think that we have to be realistic about what social selling actually does. It is a great p place for you to make connections, get information, uh, but it's really, really hard to sell something to someone on, on, on social media. Why, what's the attraction for salespeople then? I mean, what, why do salespeople love this idea of social selling if it if it's not the most effective prospecting tool when it comes to the one part of it that's most critical and so to describe what you just said the outcome isn't to make a connection necessarily with someone prospecting is the the activity that we take to create that relationship where we can ask for an opportunity to meet 
and explore change. Why, why is social media the wrong medium for that? Well, because, I mean, first of all, you know this to be true. Social media, we don't, we don't particularly care for someone to directly prospect to us inside of our social media inboxes. I don't know why we, we find it so offensive, but I mean, it's universally offensive for people. And there's something about social media that is uniquely personal. And so it's a, it's a really tough place because so you have to, if you want to engage someone on social media, you have to do it in an indirect way. And the problem with the indirect way is that while you're being indirect, trying to get someone to connect with you and, and do some kumbaya, I've already picked up the telephone, called them, set the appointment, and I'm getting in the door. And so, so much of social media is about like, it's about like setting bait out to maybe get someone to come along and, and engage with you. The reason though, that it's a siren song that salespeople run to is because it's easy. It's an easy place to have an excuse that I did stuff. It's an it's easy to say, Hey, I got this many connections or I did that so we can keep score. And it's a delusion that it's actually doing something that is selling and it is not. Uh, and there's one thing about sales it's called the universal law of awareness. And that is that you cannot be delusional and successful in sales at the same time. It just makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're doing work that's actually accomplishing something when it's not. Now, where would social media work for you? Let's just say I was trying to call you. You're the you're an executive at um, at a big firm, and I pick up the telephone and I call and get your gatekeeper. I send you an email. I don't get a response. Uh, I try to meet you at a conference, and I barely get a connection with you. And so I decide that I'm going to go around everything and try to connect with you on LinkedIn. I, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable that you would do that. But so many salespeople do it the opposite way. They do the LinkedIn thing and they spend time you know, chasing you down on all your social media places and they never actually try to make a connection. I'm going to go for trying to actually call you and ask you to do something first and then I'm going to use social media as a way around you know, the, the gatekeepers and all the other things that may be getting in the way of us uh, as, as a fallback position, not as a place to start. It's interesting. I'm I'm looking while you said that I pulled up a couple pictures that I pulled out for a post that I told you I'm writing called uh, Please Don't Social Sell Me, Bro. But I, I got a, a connection from somebody on Twitter. And as soon as I followed them back, the note was, Hi, Anthony. Thanks for the follow. How are you this Monday afternoon? Well, that's pretty social. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing, connecting. And I said, perfect. You? Absolutely unbelievable. Thanks for asking. I'd like to chat with you and learn about your marketing strategy for 2016 and how I can help leverage design to help you exceed your goals this upcoming year. Is that something you'd be interested in discussing? How's this different? I mean, why do people feel better about that than they do picking up the phone and calling me? Is the rejection uh, easier? Is it the fact that they're, they're able to hide behind a keyboard and they don't have to deal with anything that I might throw back at them? I think all of the above. I mean, that's the thing that I go back to sales managers and managerial courage is, is, is like, why don't you just pick up the telephone and call? But I mean, think about it like this. I mean, it's just, it's just noise and there's nothing, I mean, I mean, you know, from a prospecting purist like me, there's nothing wrong with basically going at you full force and saying, can we meet? I, I don't particularly like that, the, the technique that the dude used, but I mean, at least he did that. Uh, the problem with that is that why didn't he just call you? Let me let me give you some statistics. So this year we we took a look at all of the emails that we got, and this was me. So all the prospecting emails. I'm the CEO of my company, so salespeople want to talk to me about buying their stuff. They think they do the, until they get the yeah. privilege of doing that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I looked at them. So we we went back to May, and. We figured out that we got just over a thousand emails from salespeople who were trying to sell us something or prospect to us, set up an appointment, do a demo, buy directly, or what have you. These are salespeople who sent emails to me. We got three phone calls. Three. Think about that. A thousand emails, three phone calls. Now, here's what's beautiful. Of the three phone calls that I got, two of those companies are doing business with me now. Now, that just... I just come back to this, this cat. I can't explain why, you know, salespeople are so afraid of picking up the telephone. Um, I, I understand it. I get that it's, 
Um, it's a direct way of getting, you know, getting rejected. Um, and you can hide behind email and you can hide behind social, but I don't understand. And I, and I would, and I will tell you this, if, if your job is to make money via commission and you're doing stuff like this, like he did, he could have, by the, all the work that he did to get there, he could have picked up the phone and called you 10 times. And I guarantee you that if you get a call and the guy keeps calling you, you're probably going to call them back. So if my message to salespeople is don't do that, it's stupid, pick up the phone first. Now, if he had called you and left, you know, several voicemail messages for you and you hadn't called back and then he went around LinkedIn and pinged you again, I'd, I'd have total respect for this guy. And one of the things that we found, by the way, is that if we call and leave a voicemail and we don't get called back and we send a LinkedIn request and we send an email, it increases the probability the person will engage with us exponentially. But it has to start with a phone call. You can't do it the other way around. And that's because you're creating awareness and you're also relentlessly pursuing them so they know that you're actually interested in doing business with them when most of the people that would call would call once and go away. So there's a whole bunch of big benefits. What's interesting to me is that had the the cat that sent the tweet, the direct message, had he just said, you know, I want to pitch you what we do to help people like you with marketing, I might have listened just because he offered to pitch me. And I'm interested to hear what people do. Like you took three calls and bought from two. So I'll, I'll publish your direct phone number to your mobile uh, in the show notes just to make sure that any salesperson that's got anything to sell now knows that you're an easy target and uh, they got about a 70% chance of getting a buy from you, right? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I am an easy target. My phone number is everywhere. You know, it's like, it's not like I'm hiding it from people. So that's the thing that, that's the thing that's such a mystery is, and I answer my phone. I mean, if I'm available, I answer my phone. One of the guys that sold me stuff, I was on my treadmill and I was just getting some exercise and the phone rang and I answered it. And he was like, oh, my God, I didn't think you'd actually answer the phone. But I did. So you'll be available again based on our prior conversation <laughs> sometime in March. That's true. <laughs> let me but, let me close with one other thing with you. Um, talk about the Fanatical Prospecting website. Talk Talk about that site and what people get. There's a code in the book. What do they get when they go out there? Um, yeah, we, we're building our, uh, and when I say building, it's a, it's, um, it's a, it's a, a work in progress and that will never end. So the problem you brought this up earlier, when we're talking about the number of words in the book, the problem that we faced was we had, we could have written, you know, four or five more books on prospecting and we needed a place to put it all. And I also wanted to create a place where we can have people coming together that have best practices, ideas, questions. Like there's a discussion going on right now on financial prospecting around some different tools that people can use to um, to speed up the number of dials that they make when they're using their mobile phone. And it's interesting to see all the different you know tools and technology that different reps are bringing into the conversation. We built Fanatical Prospecting as a membership site, and you get a free professional membership for a year when you buy the book. There's a code in the book for that. And we've got articles, we've got videos, we've got training programs, we've got um, we've got discussion groups. Everybody gets their own profile, so everybody can can interact. We've got other people that are interacting individually. Some people send me notes, so I'm, when I have time, I, I do respond and and try to provide some individual coaching. And it's it's been a really cool process to see how many people are signing up every day. We're getting you know 10, 30, 10 to thirty people signing up for the for the website. And um, and I would encourage people to, to grab the code out of the book and come along. And we'll be adding more and more content as we uh, as we move forward. You want to point people to the code? Um, well, you just have to buy the book. Okay, we'll let them buy the book. We won't tell them exactly where it is. We don't want them to go to uh, Hudson and just grab the book and grab the code. That's right. You got to go. You All gotta right, go. you're going to have to read the book. But it's a it's a great value, though. I mean, it's a, it's about a twelve hundred dollar value. We say in the book it's five ninety nine, but we um we when we wrote the book, we were giving people a six month membership, and it's been so much fun to see people come in that. Just uh, recently, we extended everybody's membership for 12 months, and all new memberships come in for 12 months. Let, let's let's test your uh, chops as a pitch man. Pitch the virtual sales kickoff and talk about the sponsors we lined up and what people are going to get there on January 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern. The virtual sales kickoff. Here's the thing. You know, a lot of people don't get to have a big sales meeting or they think about the new year and what they should be accomplishing 
and they're looking for some help and they're looking for a competitive advantage. And what we've put together, um, you're the catalyst of this with with an, another uh, four experts, is this one hour live streaming broadcast where we're going to give you our very best ideas for how you can uh, amplify your income and your success in 2016. And we've got these three amazing sponsors, Task Group, uh, Serious Insight, and uh, Veracity, who are all going to, um, to, to provide you with some additional resources for building your pipeline and making a lot more money. And we're just, we're, I'm really pleased about this. It's going to be a fantastic event, and it's one that you definitely don't want to miss. And you can, you can go sign up for free right now. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal to get all this content for free at um, virtualsaleskickoff.com. That's www.virtualsaleskickoff.com. And here's what's even better. Uh, if you sign up for virtualsaleskickoff.com, you're going to get a package of $500 in free eBooks and uh, additional resources uh, instantly as soon as you register. That's awesome. Velocify. You missed so the Velocify. You, yeah. We should probably do that again. Uh, go ahead and just uh, start over. Let's let me just say uh, pitch the virtual sales kickoff. This is a, this is an amazing event, Anthony. It's uh, you're, you're the catalyst of this, but it's you and I and and four other experts who have come together to help salespeople get our best ideas and secrets and techniques for making 2016 their best year ever. And this is real content. The beautiful thing about this this broadcast is unlike a lot of webinars where you're just getting pitched and sold a bunch of stuff, we're not going to try to sell you anything. We've got these three amazing uh, uh, sponsors, Velocify, The Task Group, and Cirrus Insight, who are also going to provide you with some additional resources, who have underwritten the entire uh, broadcast so that it's absolutely free. And you can go find out more and register at www.virtualsaleskickoff.com. That's virtualsaleskickoff.com. And Anthony, the, the best news of all is that as soon as you sign up instantly, uh, we're going to give you a package of additional resources and eBooks that are worth a little bit more than $500. So if you're uh, interested in uh, filling your pipeline and your bank account in 2016, go to virtualsaleskickoff.com to register today. And go to fanaticalprospecting.com. Jeb, as always, love talking to you, brother. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you at some point when you take yourself off the road for 15 minutes. Thank you. This episode of In the Arena was sponsored by Velocify. Go to Velocify.com for more information. My good friend Jeb Blunt was here with Fanatical Prospecting. You can find him at JebBlunt.com and SalesGravy.com. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at TheSalesBlog.com and also YouTube.com forward slash Anarino. That's all we've got time for this week. I'll see you next time in the arena.